Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Welcome to the Irish News Podcast. I'm here with Ivan Judson and Michael Lanzetta. They're talking at the Microsoft Decoded Conference. So, Michael, what's about your background? Um, so I've been a software engineer for a long time uh, at a bunch of different companies, starting at a startup that was employee number four, yep. uh, all the way to um, Amazon, and then lately uh, for the last eight years at Microsoft. Um, and I've worked in a bunch of different areas, uh, primarily in the areas of um, optimization, uh, large-scale systems, yep. and uh, lately a lot in machine learning. Okay, and uh, Ivan, what's your background? Uh, I've been an academic researcher building sort of proof of concept systems and V1 systems for yeah. my entire career and all over the technology spectrum and I really enjoy data and devices and so it has driven me into machine learning as a way of managing and understanding sort of the, the data we collect. Okay, now you talk a little bit about deep learning, what actually is that for layman? So deep learning is kind of an area of machine learning that is more and more interesting and the idea is that you uh, the most common form that you see it in is these deep neural networks where you take what was a traditional neural network where there's input there's a single kind of hidden layer that learns a function and then there's the output yeah. so uh, one common scenario you see there is you have this input that uh, is taking in say an image of a digit and the output would be zero through nine so yeah. that's the actual digit that you see. That you see. Um, and so deep learning is basically taking that and expanding it and adding more layers and changing the topology of the layers um, and changing the types of neurons involved so that they do more interesting things. Uh, and, they, and what we found is that it can solve some really powerful problems or some really difficult problems that we didn't think we could solve before. Um, so you see things coming out of it, like uh, AlphaGo, uh, for instance, that yeah. uh, Google recently used to kind of solve Go, yeah. um, where uh, they built the, this large-scale uh, yeah, deep learning model um, that was able to solve a problem that was considered basically unsolvable, or at least it wouldn't be able to be solved within at least 10 years. And we've done similar things with uh, image capture, where you know, we've been able to take images and been able to recognize not only the things that are in, in the image, but kind of what's happening, you know, like this is a dog playing on the grass or something like that, where we're really able to measure intent almost, um, which is kind of amazing. So actually, if you, you can get an app now that can use that, so if you're somewhere and you, you've got an app, and you can then look at a picture and tell you what's in the picture in detail. Yeah, and so that's one of the things that we've done as Microsoft, is kind of taken this research that came strictly out of MSR, yeah. and we've done strictly kind of uh, you know, MSR has done it for their own edification, uh, and we've taken that and productionalized it and turned it into, you know, the Microsoft um, Caption Bot and turned it into the Microsoft Vision API, where people can incorporate that into their existing applications and do interesting things and do things we haven't even thought of. What about Cortana? Can they work with that as well? Cortana definitely uses deep learning under the covers um, in several different ways. Uh, parts of it is for understanding speech. Um, the actual understanding of conversational speech has improved massively over the past several years due to these deep learning models. Um, and it uses it in other areas as well for uh, uh, being able to make connections and understand uh, 
the way that people with machine learning what areas are, has it been used the moment machine learning like how has it been used How's it, how are we seeing it being yeah. used um, I think we're seeing a lot of usage in, in anomaly detection and predictive maintenance and then in forecasting and whether that's revenue forecasting labor forecasting uh, various other sort of business yeah. objectives but then in industrial scenarios we see a lot more of the predictive maintenance when it when a fleet devices or manufacturing device is going to fail, when do we have to repair them? Should we proactively repair them yeah. so that they don't fail at a critical time? And then finally in the sort of anomaly detection where we see uh, various attack vectors for like cybersecurity in, or, yeah. or uh, credit anomalies for fraud detection, things like that. Yeah. They're pretty pervasive in those areas. I think some of the more exotic solutions are only emerging because we have algorithms and techniques to to pursue more complicated uh, questions so only recently. Yeah, so if you see if you see some activity happening that you think is not, is not normal, that leads you to determine it could be fraudulent. Exactly. And we, we, in fact, internally use the anomaly detection as a way of determining what our performance is in Azure. Yeah. So we run this large cloud, and we do a lot of anomaly detection on the events that come out of the the systems that are running as Azure. Yeah. And in fact, we do a more complicated sort of two-mode prediction where we find the anomalies, and then we do a machine learning uh, linear regression on all the resources on the, on the machines to predict when the machine will fail. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's used in order to reduce the number of false alarms to our engineering team in order to sort of proactively optimize their, their time. Yeah, so if you know a machine's gonna fail, you can have, have a spare parts in stock that can fix it. Right away. Or have another one spun up and yeah. ready to sort of switch over to it so that it's transparent to the customer. Right. Yeah, and uh, when it comes to machine learning, does it, does it work as well with deep learning too? They both are tangent together? Or um, I would, I'll let Mike answer it, but I, I would say that... I'd almost say deep learning is more a flavor of yeah. machine learning. Yeah. It's like, uh, so machine learning can cover a lot of different areas, and um, for a lot of problems, deep learning is almost too powerful. Like, you need a lot of data. Yeah. You need a, a lot of really, you know, clean labeled data in order to kind of make it more powerful. Um, and it takes a long time to train these models. And you could get a lot more bang for your buck by going with something simpler. Um, and then there are areas where deep learning doesn't really uh, necessarily understand what's going on. And there are other mechanisms that are easier, like uh, clustering, you know, where you figure yeah. out, like, what kind of customers do I have? I don't really know. Yeah. I, can, I can shove a bunch of data in there where, I, you know, I have all of this different information. And the clustering algorithms can figure out, hey, you have five different types of customers and here's how I've differentiated them. And you can go figure out, oh, well, that's an interesting you know, feature about yeah. the customers that I didn't know before. What about AI? Is it, is it, good, is it used much in deep learning or is it more machine learning? Uh, go ahead. So when you're talking about AI as the, as the concept of, of kind of a, a, a human level intelligence, yeah. or that... Um, it doesn't really exist yet, uh, but I, I think if it comes out of anywhere, it'll come out of the deep learning space. Because I know when you're talking earlier about how when it comes to security, you can check things. Surely, if you can think like a human in a certain way, to know something's going on that isn't normal. That yeah, I think I think some of the interesting problems that I, I've seen emerge recently from large-scale machine yeah. learning implementations are what Mike was describing sort of in the, a few seconds ago about what I would call macro architectures of machine learning implementations. Yeah. So you might divide up your yeah. your incoming data into different kinds of data, use different machine learning algorithms on each customer type 
because the demographic is different yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. And I think these sort of what I would call composites of simple machine learning solutions into complicated architectures, when we understand how to leverage different kinds of algorithms and deep learning implementations within them, I think we'll start seeing the emergence of more complicated things that, that look like AI, yeah. but I don't think that we understand yet what those architectures need to be to produce AI. Yeah, I think Quite. we're still a ways from the, sim from the singularity where yeah. AI takes control and kills us all. So, so no Borgs yet or, or Terminators? No, yeah. not yet. Yeah. And also, I've seen before, and if you've got a casino, they've got machines to set up. And I can tell by your, by how you, how you, you act in your body, your heart rate, if you're actually involved in uh, some sort of scamming. And I presume that we're using some form of deep learning and uh, machine learning as well to be able to do this. I think they're using pretty straightforward vision processes. Yeah. So it is probably machine learning models that are trained, but they can tell by things like. Uh, Detecting your pulse from the from the skin under your eye, yeah. detecting yeah. your heart rate, your sweat, because they, they can't instrument you yeah. directly the way we do with yeah. like your health meters, your Fitbit, or your band. Yeah. But they can tell video and audio and other interactions, sort of the same data streams that then they can run through the models and determine behaviorally if there's fraud or cheating going on. And, and I think that they're, I think those are pretty simple still, but they're they're very what I would call. They're deep and rich because they're very narrow. Yeah. yeah. Like they have they, a very they, strict domain that they're operating yeah. in, which yeah. allows them to be really powerful in that domain. Yeah, because you said earlier that it, 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 sometimes common state is harder to do with. This is, you know, whatever you're looking for, it's like one strict area, probably easier to maintain and, and know what you're doing. Well, yeah. if you think about the difference between sort of fraud detection in a casino yeah. and the general problem of AI, yeah. in fraud detection in a casino, there are only a finite number of games, a finite number of behaviors. Yeah and a finite number of ways to detect it, whereas an AI has to field essentially any question you could pose, yeah. which is a much harder problem. Yeah, and then it has to learn as well. <laughs> and also, I mean, with fraud, specifically with fraud detection in a casino, we have people that have been doing that manually yeah. that are experts, you know, so they're able to give us kind of this, this the gold standard of machine learning, you know, this labeled data that we all love, where, yeah. you know, they're able to look at, at a person and say, yeah, that guy's cheating, um, or girl, and, yeah. uh, and you know, then we have this labeled data, and they can take that, and we can learn a model from it. Um, right. And uh, with with additional sensor data, that can make their job easier, but it can also allow us to train more complicated models. Yeah. And within the next five years, where do you think you'll be going in the uh, in in both your fields, machine learning and data and uh, de deep learning? I really think deep learning is going to do more and more interesting things. Um, what we what I said in my talk, and what I think that uh, we're seeing is. Um, the, the models, the kind of neural net topologies that we put in place, we really put in place in thinking that they have this particular domain that they excelled at. So like, if you look at convolutional neural nets, like we initially thought they were only good for images. And then people start applying them to new things and they wind up being incredibly powerful. Um, and then with existing networks that have already been trained, we find that they actually help bootstrap new networks. So if you learn a network that can understand somebody speaking Russian, that can bootstrap a network that understands people speaking English. Yeah. Um, and so I think the, com the convolution of those two things is really going to uh, allow us to make even more powerful neural networks, and I'm really excited to be in that space. And also, I guess if somebody who's got a dis disability or wants to learn a new language, it's easier for them to actually be able to do this. Yeah, and we've actually been working in that area. Like, if you look at the, some of our Skype translator stuff, one of the initial uh, 
implementations that they demoed back in, in um, several years ago at the company meeting was the ability to translate sign language. Yeah. So somebody who you know was deaf and could only speak in sign could all of a sudden have the power of speech. Yeah. Uh, to, to somebody who couldn't sign and didn't understand sign language, and vice versa. Uh, and I think that sort of enablement is incredibly powerful. And also, yes, if you've got a, a, a video camera that can actually tell you what's going on in the picture, and if, if you're basically a person who's blind, you can be describing in 3D what's happening. Exactly, exactly. And, I, and we actually, I've, I've um, helped uh, build some applications for the University of Washington where they were doing similar things like that, where uh, somebody could potentially take a picture of, you know, their cupboard or whatever and figure out this can is a can of beans because, you know, if the, if the can doesn't have rail on it and they're blind, they have no idea what's actually in the can. Yeah. You know, it might as well not have a label. And I suppose if somebody's colorblind, might be able to tell them what, what colors are there as well. Exactly, exactly. Because i got a friend who's colorblind and he doesn't know what clothes he's wearing or what you, you're wearing at the time. He just knows, well, that looks nice, but he can't, he can't tell otherwise. Yeah, yeah. You could be wearing some sort of crazy combination of colors. Yeah. And with machine learning, do you think it'll, it'll get more deep down with AI as well? Um, I think that we're going to go through a, a learning and growing period. I think we're going to start talking a lot more about the simple building blocks that we need to have people understand to get here. Yeah. I think we'll talk a lot about statistics and probability and, and fundamental math yeah. that gives us the understanding of how to build larger systems because we have to do kind of everything in parallel right now. Yeah. We have to understand, I think we'll move from what I would call the, the, the butterfly net approach to data mm -hmm. to a more focused, what kind of data do we need to collect to feed these large scale uh, deep learning systems. Yeah. And because we don't need to collect everything, we need to collect the right stuff and we may have it labeled and, and characterized. And then we'll also be looking at the sort of the math and the architecture. And I think those four pillars will be where we focus in the next sort of three to five years. And then in five to seven to 10 years, we will have a whole generation of sort of engineers and people who are thinking about how to put those blocks together to get us sort of to stand on the shoulders of the next level, where I think we'll see much farther over the horizon, but I don't think we know what that horizon looks like yet, honestly. So maybe when you time you go see Skynet happening? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, for me, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've already seen uh, crazy things come out, uh, but they've been very, very selective as far as their capabilities. You know, they, they, um, it's in the capability of, uh, you know, making Twitter feeds that, that yeah. people don't want to read or things like that. But, uh, but the actual um, a real sort of intelligence, I think, is a long way off. I think it comes down to part of that butterfly net problem that I'm describing as well, yeah. which is, you know, we know that there are, there are network vendors, for example, who can build network switches that are able to inspect every packet on a network. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that we actually don't have technology widely available that can inspect every tweet that comes out of the Twitter fire yeah. hose. Mm -hmm. Like, we still are in a position where there's more data than we can process. And until we get a little bit further ahead in that game, I don't think I don't think you could imagine Skynet existing until it can actually yeah. process and consume a reasonable fraction of the data we're producing. Yeah. Done uh, years ago with the, uh, with, uh, with the U U.S. thing, Army or Navy, and then finally I haven't got to use it. I think with this stuff. Things you don't know are happening is happening, and finally, in 20 years' time, we'll know all about it. 
Yeah, that's true too. I can see that. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, this is all subject to the caveat that people could be doing things that we don't know about. Exactly. And I know that, you know, uh, one of the big innovators in deep learning is, is Baidu and the Chinese. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we know what they're doing. We know what Facebook and, and Google and Microsoft are doing. Uh, but what, you know, the individual governments or what secretive organizations yeah. are doing, we have no idea. Yeah, they could be doing very interesting things, and I hope someday to learn about them. Yeah, or, uh, that's great. Thanks for, yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. Thanks. That's great.